Hi, and welcome to the Princeton Pulse podcast. I'm Heather Howard, professor at Princeton University and former New Jersey Commissioner of Health and Senior Services. On campus and beyond, I've dedicated my career to advancing public health. That's why I'm excited to host this podcast and shine a light on the valuable connections between health research and policy. Our show will bring together scholars, policymakers, and other leaders to discuss today's most pressing health policy issues, domestically and globally. We'll highlight novel research at Princeton, along with partnerships aimed at improving public health and reducing health disparities. I hope you'll listen in as we put our fingers on the pulse and examine the power and possibilities of evidence-informed health policy. Welcome. On today's inaugural episode of the Princeton Pulse, we're addressing maternal and infant health disparities, a serious and often overlooked public health crisis. The facts are startling. In the United States, Black mothers are three to four times more likely to die of pregnancy-related complications than white women, and Black babies are twice as likely as white babies to die before their first birthdays. Those statistics have captured the attention of both researchers and policymakers, especially here in New Jersey, where the gaps are even more stark. New Jersey's First Lady Tammy Murphy has not only taken notice, but taken charge. After learning that Black mothers in New Jersey are seven times more likely than white mothers to die during pregnancy, and that Black babies are three times less likely to survive to one year of age, she launched Nurture New Jersey. Her goal is to make New Jersey the safest, most equitable place in the nation to deliver and raise a baby. What is causing such dire outcomes in maternal child health here in New Jersey and across the U.S.? How can we close the racial divide? First Lady Tammy Murphy is here today to discuss those issues, along with Princeton Professor Elizabeth Armstrong, whose research interests include public health, the history and sociology of medicine, risk in obstetrics, and medical ethics. First Lady, Professor Armstrong, welcome to the show. Thank Thank you, you, Heather. Uh, Professor Armstrong, can we start with you? How would you define this problem nationally? Are we really facing a maternal health crisis? Well, the United States has experienced an increase in maternal mortality in recent decades, in distinction from almost every other uh, developed country in the world. Um, we are among the few countries that is experiencing rising maternal mortality rates. Maternal mortality, deaths during or after pregnancy, are really only the tip of the iceberg. There are around 800 uh, maternal mortality deaths in the United States, but an estimated 68,000 near misses, women who almost died during or, or shortly after pregnancy. And there are about 1.7 million serious maternal morbidity complications that occur every year in the United States. So looking at maternal mortality and maternal morbidity, yes, we are facing a maternal health care crisis. And First Lady, how is this playing out in New Jersey? Uh, well, you know, just to follow on what Professor Ramsar was saying, you know, New Jersey is 47th in the country in terms of maternal mortalities, which is appalling given the high level of health care we have here in New Jersey. Um, but, you know, I just want to reiterate, the United States is in a very bad place. Uh, as, as Professor Armstrong just said, um, the numbers are tragic enough. But then you think about this, we are 55th in the world for maternal mortalities, which is stunning and clearly um, unacceptable given the uh, developments that we have in the United States. Here in, in New Jersey, um, a, a 
black mother is uh, seven times more likely than a white mother to die from maternity-related complications. And a black baby is more than three times more likely than a white baby to die before his or her first birthday, which is clearly unacceptable. So uh, as you already mentioned, Nurture New Jersey, we, we launched Nurture New Jersey in 2019 to help us um, become the uh, safest and most equitable state in the United States to deliver and raise a baby. And we are very excited because we are we have a lot of momentum around what we're doing and um, a lot of work to do, but, but we've made some headway that I hope I can share with you today. I'm looking forward to that. Now, but you, you mentioned some pretty startling statistics. How have you leaned into the research on this? What role does research play in, in your effort here? Research is vital. Uh, we, we could not do anything or, or honestly have a leg to stand on if we were to go out in public and not have the research um, to gird everything that we're talking about. Uh, I would tell you that for the f- from day one of my husband's first administration, my team and I started meeting with stakeholders, both within the administration and outside of the administration, to really understand what was going on. I can tell you I naively approached this from the beginning thinking, oh, it's a lack of access to prenatal care. And sure enough, uh, you know, after speaking to now thousands of stakeholders, and I truly mean thousands and thousands of stakeholders, it's pretty clear that, uh, you know, the data indicates that we have a real challenge, particularly for our, our women um, of color. And it's it's taking into account all the social determinants of health. I mean, it is everything from transportation to education to nutritious food to workforce development to childcare, I mean, it's it's everything all bundled in one, and and really, um, the only way to define it, I, I hate to say it, is um, is just decades and decades, if not centuries, of institutional racism. Professor Armstrong, do you want to jump in? Is that consistent with what you see nationally in the data? I think what First Lady Murphy is um, expressing in her focus on racism is a really important shift that's been taking place more broadly in how we think about public health policy and medical care, which is that for a long time, we regarded race as a risk factor for adverse outcomes and for disparities that we observe in outcomes like infant mortality and maternal mortality. We have begun to recognize that it's racism, not race, that drives health inequalities and leads to adverse outcomes. So this is a very powerful reframing to how we understand the causes of adverse outcomes and disparities in those outcomes. So, Mrs. Murphy, can you give us an example of how you're seeing these social determinants of health play out in the New Jersey data? Education, housing, what, what's what's a good example for our listeners? How about if I give you a, a real live example, a woman, her name is Ajani. She lived up in lives up in Bergen, uh, and she became found that she was pregnant when she was in college, and unfortunately could not found a great doctor was really happy with her doctor, but found out that she couldn't stay on her mother's health care plan. So she got bumped off of the health care plan, which then meant that she had to go to Medicaid, and she ended up having to commute to Patterson. To because there's such limited choices, um, many doctors don't accept Medicaid. So she went to Patterson, and she would find herself not only having a much longer commute, but on top of that, she then had very she had to long wait to get to the doctors because there were so few doctors and so few people who needed access to those doctors. And ultimately, she you know made it work 
But then she started getting feeling unwell, and she had um, abdominal pain, went to the hospital. They didn't believe her, and she ultimately delivered a baby boy who lived for three days. And Ajane is firmly of the opinion that had she had cleaner access, had she been able to continue with the doctor that was closer to home, had um, more availability, then she would have had a different outcome. So that is, I, I think that's one, that, that's, that brings it home for me. Professor Armstrong, you know, the research is pretty clear about insurance coverage, isn't it? About insurance coverage, but can you speak to this example and more generally, what, nationally, the trends on insurance coverage? Sure. We've spent decades trying to expand insurance coverage as a solution to maternity care problems. Beginning in the 1980s, we expanded uh, Medicaid coverage to include pregnant women. Um, and as First Lady Murphy indicated, the expanded coverage did not have the overwhelming effect that many policymakers and researchers hoped. We hoped that prenatal care would be a magic uh, bullet, a solution to um, ongoing health disparities in the United States and high rates of infant mortality in particular. Um, unfortunately, things didn't play out that way, in part because expanded access alone, as First Lady Murphy's example demonstrates, uh, doesn't necessarily guarantee that a woman can find a provider, can uh, access quality care, uh, and can receive care that is commensurate with her needs at that time. So expanded coverage is great. It's not sufficient. It's necessary, but not sufficient as a policy solution. And haven't we learned, you mentioned Medicaid, that Medicaid has been a good source of coverage for, for many pregnant people, but Medicaid stopped covering many um, women three months after their delivery, right? And then Professor Armstrong, what did we learn? The research showed that many of these uh, maternal deaths were happening up to a year after this is such an important point, Professor Howard. When we hear maternal mortality, many of us have kind of these 19th century ideas about women dying literally in childbirth. What we know is that more than half of all maternal deaths happen after the baby is born in the year following the uh, birth. So we need to cover women for a longer period of time. Medicaid for a long time covered a single postpartum visit. It usually took place six weeks postpartum, uh, and that was it. Then the woman's coverage ended. The baby's coverage would continue, of course. That allocation of resources reflects a tendency in American healthcare policy to focus on children and pregnant women as vessels or producers of children rather than focusing on women's health. Uh, as an important policy goal in its own right. So First Lady, New Jersey was one of the first states to address this very issue that we've pinpointed, right? right? You want to talk about that extension of coverage? Yes. I, I, can I hit two things at sure. once here? Okay. First of all, on the extension of coverage, I am so thrilled. You gave me the perfect layup, Professor Armstrong. Uh, my husband just signed um, into law you know, to extend Medicaid coverage for 365 days postpartum. Uh, that is something that is widely available across the United States. And I will tell you, it is heartbreaking for me to see that many states are not taking the federal government up on that offer, which is tragic. Um, so yes, I'm really proud of my husband on that front and so excited for us here in New Jersey. Uh, I also, so there's, there's two other things I want to say. 
I think also Professor Armstrong's point about um, mortality happening anytime up to a year postpartum is really important to understand because many people say to me, and it goes back to your question about the data, many people say to me, okay, when, you, when your husband came into office, we were 45th in, 45th in the country in terms of maternal mortality rates. You've been working on this for several years now, and now we're 47th. What is going on? And I keep saying you have to understand it's it's a lagging indicator. And and also it's it's not as though, you know, you can fix something today and have it immediately respond have the data immediately reflect those great changes tomorrow. So, you know, we paid the price when we started out by having really bad policies that were that were in place. And we are basically making up for lost time right now. The other thing that I wanted to say, and it goes back to um, both the economics of this as well as the racism piece, which I think is a very important point to make. It's it's not only people like Ajani who have a, who need access to Medicaid who are having disproportionate outcomes. There are people like Serena Williams, Beyonce. These are powerful women who have incredible platforms, who can speak for themselves, who have access to the best doctors and the best medical treatment in in, in the world, and no one believed their stories, and they had serious problems. So I, I just would say that, that it, it underscores the fact that this truly is a racism challenge, and we have to rethink and transform the way we deliver care, the, deli- the way we think about community, and the way we support one another. I just want to stress uh, that point that we know that um, even the most advantaged Black women have worse outcomes than the least advantaged white women. Black mothers with a college education are at 60% greater risk of maternal death than white women with a less than high school education. So race and racism is playing a really important role in how women experience the maternity care system. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we have been so wrong about the direction we've been going in yeah. okay. so for, so, for such a long time that I think that, that we now need to, we need to kind of change the conversation. And we have been working really hard to do that um, for the last four and a half years. And that's nothing in comparison to Professor Armstrong's mm-hmm. um, depth and breadth of experience here. But, you know, I'm really so thrilled here in New Jersey because my husband signed 43 pieces of legislation in this space alone, um, which is pretty extraordinary in, in just, you know, four and a half years. Um, we, he's also um, done, there's one particular piece of legislation that I, I have to tout, and that is um, universal home visitation. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I really am so excited about this because it is a game changer in terms of um, disparities in income. So what this law will do, what it's doing, is it's, an, it's enabling a um, nurse practitioner to go into the home of a um, of for any mom, whether the mom has delivered a stillborn baby, whether the mom has delivered a healthy baby, or whether the baby has been adopted, um, the nurse practitioner goes in to check on the baby, to check on the family. And you know, if you think about it, in the first six weeks of a baby's life, a baby is seen by doctors multiple times, and a mother may be seen maybe once. So, and and, and think about the journey. You don't know if somebody is, you know has housing insecurity, has food insecurity, has has taken five buses, is wearing their Sunday finest clothes to go to the doctor's office, which is in a white, you know, white room. No one can tell what's going on with this family. 
So now we send a nurse in to every single woman's home. And what will you find? You will find if the mother is exhausted, if the mother has domestic abuse, if they don't have internet, Wi-Fi connection, if they don't have food, you'll see what kind of um, other resources we can um, we can bring to the table that will help this family produce healthy children, healthy teenagers, healthy adults, healthy parents. If they need help with breastfeeding. If Whatever. Need- it's anything. It could just need somebody to hold the baby for 10 minutes and let the, the parent take a shower. I mean, you don't know what you're, you just don't know. And, and so this I'm is really universal, excited. as you said. This is every, every baby born. First Armstrong, the Nurse Family Partnership has been studied yeah. for a long. You want to talk about yeah. what we know about the value of these programs? Well, I wanted to say two things in response to that. First of all, we know that this kind of home visitation works. Other countries have done this for a long time. This is uh, the model in the UK. Uh, so we do have evidence from elsewhere that this kind of policy is effective. The other thing that I want to stress that's so powerful about what First Lady Murphy is describing is the fact that it's a universal home visit. Every mother and every baby receives this visit. This is not something that's targeted at women who are perceived as being at risk. It's not a stigmatizing uh, policy. It's universal and um, powerful in that that helps to destigmatize the intervention. And it also helps to catch women who might not be um, visibly at risk in a physician's office. So you mentioned that's one exciting initiative. Can you take us back and tell us about Nurture New Jersey? Absolutely. So from day one, my team and I started going both within the administration and outside the administration to really try and understand what was going on. What, what, where were the problems and where, what could we, what could we do to fix this? And interestingly, day one, uh, back in 2018, I had two departments and agencies within the administration working alongside us to try and come to some, you know, plan. Um, those would have been obviously health department and family and children's services. Uh, today, we have over 20 different departments that are working together with us um, to cha- to tackle this, this challenge. Uh, outside, we traveled the state and met with just stakeholders literally across every county in New Jersey. And I will tell you, the universal finding both within the administration and outside the administration is that there are some really great people out there who are genuinely trying to do the right thing, but everybody's working in their own little space and they don't pick up their head. They don't get out of their own silo to see what other people are doing that could possibly complement their work. So we started Nurture New Jersey, which is our um, statewide initiative to um, reduce maternal mortality rates by 50% over five years and to completely eradicate the inequities. Um, other states have done the 50% in five years, namely California, but they didn't pay any attention to the inequities. So we are we have built upon um, the work that they did already, as well as other states, and we have worked together with literally the top experts in the country to try and tackle this challenge from all perspectives. Uh, We had over 100 stakeholders who were interviewed as part of this strategic plan. And at the end of the day, we unveiled um, the strategic plan in January of 21. Uh, It is a 70-step, actionable step plan. Uh, We have already to date tackled or or started over half of these steps. 
and we are just putting our head down every day and we are determined to move forward. I do think, by the way, that that plan, our plan, uh, could well be a blueprint for other states and other areas across the country that might want to try and start fixing um, the challenges that they are experiencing in their own backyard. Professor Armstrong, um, First Lady Murphy mentioned California. Are you, are, you know, have you followed what California did? And are there any examples you would want to lift up nationally that give you hope? California is a great example. California invested in something they call the California Maternity Quality Care Collaborative, which has reduced the maternal death rate in California by more than half. Really impressive accomplishment. Some of the ways they did that um, are by developing toolkits for maternity care providers. So providing very clearly established protocols for dealing with certain kinds of obstetric emergencies. Also encouraging caregiving teams to uh, engage in mock emergencies so that when an emergency happens, they know exactly what to do. CMQCC has also focused extensively on quality improvement in hospital settings. And as First Lady Murphy was stressing collaboration, working with a variety of stakeholders, one, I think, one of the strengths of the CMQCC has been exactly that their focus on working with a variety of stakeholders in developing these initiatives to reduce maternal mortality in California, rather than taking a top-down approach and working only with obstetricians, for example. That's great. So let's dig a little deeper. Um, um, First Lady Murphy, one of the pillars of Nurture New Jersey is, quote, building a safe, high-quality, equitable system of care and services for all women during prenatal, labor, and delivery and postpartum care. Can you say more about that? I mean, it's, it's, it, you've got a bunch of different actionable items, but it, you know, it all sort of sums up to creating and strengthening the workforce that, that serves. Can you talk yes. about that? Yes. So um, among other legislation that my husband has signed is um, we now, uh, he's, he's not only do we give Medicaid reimbursement for doula work, uh, for doulas, which I don't know if you're familiar with doulas, but they are um, something I wish I had known about when I was pregnant with any of my four. Uh, but but doulas are community doulas, particularly are people who are in the community who are culturally sensitive and can give um, can counsel and can provide support, and they have I think historically along perhaps and Professor Armstrong, you might be able to comment about this, but alongside midwives, I think in certain environments, um, in certain hospital situations, I think that they've been treated as outsiders, as lesser parts of the um, support team. And I think that we have tried really to expand our doula workforce. Uh, we have tried to um, ensure that they are being reimbursed for, for by Medicaid. Uh, and we have also created a, a collaborative. We've done it. We've done a lot of things just with the doulas specifically and with the midwives, you know, and I, I don't want to take up more than my airtime, but, but we've, but that is one area that I think is, is really important. Um, and then of course, during COVID, they were also, uh, given the ability to bring in a doula into the hospital room because they were excluded. And, um, that was really unfortunate. Um, but anyway. So, Professor Armstrong, what do you see as the ideal workforce for achieving um, birth equity? I'm really glad to hear First Lady Murphy's emphasis on doulas, which are an important component of the maternity care workforce. And I just want to stress that that is an evidence-based intervention. We know um, from evidence that continuous support during labor is associated with better outcomes for both mother and baby. 
Uh, in fact, studies have been done that just having a person present in the room does not even have to interact with the laboring woman uh, improves outcomes. Unfortunately, the way hospital-based maternity care is structured in the U.S., that's often a luxury that women don't have. Labor and delivery nurses are caring for multiple women at a time. They're watching monitors. They're coming in and out of the room. So a doula is an important uh, addition to the maternity care workforce. I think diversifying the maternity care workforce on a variety of dimensions is a key uh, aspect of addressing maternity care crisis in the United States. So diversifying both who is a maternity care provider, making sure that maternity care providers look like the women and people that they're caring for is an important part of that diversification, but also diversifying the kinds of um, roles that are engaged in providing maternity care. We in the United States over rely on obstetricians, gynecologists in the maternity care workforce. 94% of all births in the United States are attended by an obstetrician. That's not as common in other developed countries where midwives play a much greater role in maternity care. Obstetrics in the United States and elsewhere is a surgical subspecialty. Um, so we need to diversify the workforce and look for people with different kinds of training, midwifery training, doula training, not just obstetric training, uh, as an important component of how we think about who provides maternity care and what the content of that care is. And you also, you've done a lot of thinking about birth fr birthing friendly hospitals, right? Mm -hmm. and, and can you say a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, in general, this, I think paradoxically, people often assume that the solution to maternal mortality and morbidity is more medical care. Probably demedicalizing maternity care overall would be an important pathway to reducing maternal morbidity and mortality. There's no reason that every woman has to give birth in the hospital. We can develop alternative settings for women to give birth that are very safe. We can also think about supporting women who choose to give birth outside of the hospital by developing better systems for transfer and transport in the occasion that a woman needs to move from a home or birth center into a hospital for more uh, specialized care during her labor and delivery. That's a great segue that I wanted to ask you about, not just the medical response here, but what's the community-based response? And you have a whole a, a section of your Nurture New Jersey plan on community-based social supports for um, pregnant and parenting people. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, we have a saying uh, in, in our office that it's, and, and it's brought on by all the mothers who we have interviewed over time, not about us without us. And so we say that the moms have to be at the table before the table is even built. And that, that I think speaks volumes because mother's needs and mother's comments and mother's um, wishes are interspersed throughout the strategic plan. And and I also will tell you, I'm um, really excited because in the upcoming budget, my husband has actually um, allowed us to create um, a database where we are actually going to actively solicit input from mothers as to what's going wrong, what went well. And that will inform us as we move forward, as we continue to create policy and try and find creative ways and solutions to challenges that are out there. That's really exciting. First, Armstrong, do you want to talk about sort of how 
um, how to include the people in in research and how to think about the the, the people who we're worried about. I, one of the things I love about that community-based focus is that it's restoring attention to birth as a meaningful moment in individuals' lives and, quite frankly, in the foundation of our society overall. Academic researchers often use the concept of invisible centrality to describe reproduction and birth in particular. Birth is foundational to all of us. It is a universal experience. It's how we all got here to this planet. It is critical to the formation of families, societies, countries, nations, etc. But it's often marginalized or invisible or glossed over. It's rarely the center of uh, attention or policy initiatives. So one of the things that I think is so powerful about Nurture New Jersey and this entire initiative is the way it centers birth and birthing women as something important for all of us to think about all the time not just a niche issue that affects only birthing women or affects only women, but something that is absolutely foundational to our communities and to our society. And so I love restoring that focus on birth. So let's look ahead. How can we all work together, researchers and policymakers, to improve maternal child health? And how can we ensure that New Jersey is a leader in um, building birth equity? Well, first of all, you're doing it by having this podcast, because much of the challenges that we've faced and, and under, is understanding and communicating with people and telling them that there's a problem out there. I will tell you there's um, something really exciting uh, that we will be doing here in New Jersey, and I'm just really hopeful. And that is my my goal, and one of it, I think it's even in my, it's in my strategic plan there, but one of the goals that we have is to create an innovation and research center in Trenton. Why Trenton? Because it's a birthing desert. It's a food desert. It's our capital. Uh, it has dis disproportionate outcomes both for moms and for infants. Um, it's also the seat of government. And we have already signed 43 pieces of legislation. Who knows what else there is to come? But this Innovation Research Center will be, my, my thought is it's the MD Anderson Cleveland Clinic of this space. We want to be able to bring services and research and everything under one roof and make sure that it's accessible, make sure that we're delivering the correct services that are needed in the community, and also give policymakers around the country access to the laws that we have already signed and an understanding as to where and how we got to where we are right now. My big hope is that a lot of the data that we have unearthed will be moved into this center and be protected for future for everyone to be able to study and understand and use for comparative purposes across the country. So I'm really hopeful in that space and, you know, would would love your help down the road as we um, we're now looking at architects and planning and things like that at, at this moment in time. That's exciting for us to hear, being, you know, so close here to Princeton and it's so central to our work. And well, Professor Armstrong, you teach classes in reproductive justice and the sociology of reproduction. And you and I both have advised numerous senior theses, students digging into these issues. What do you see as a, as a, a way to collaborate between researchers and policymakers on such pressing issues like this? Uh, it's such an important question, Heather, because we need research to inform policy, but researchers also need to be attentive to what's happening in the quote unquote real world, which of course is just the world. <laughs> um, and too often research agendas might be set by something other than the pressing needs in the community. So I think having this kind of center that will collect the experiences of people as well as collect data 
uh, will be a really powerful way to address the maternity care crisis in New Jersey. And as First Lady Murphy suggested, provide uh, models for other states uh, and other regions to take up in their own attempts to re reduce maternal mortality and morbidity. Well, this has been a wonderful discussion. I really appreciate both of your participation. I'll pause. Anything we should have addressed? Anything you wanted to raise? When I when I talk about there are a lot of good people out there who are trying to do the right thing, and sometimes you just get stuck in your space. I think about a lot of these very well-intentioned doctors who might go into a very difficult area where they have challenges and they have clinics and they don't have access to great health care. And, and in the obstetrics space, what ends up happening is the doctor's going to give his time on Friday, two weeks from now. So what ends up happening is the doctor would go in and say, okay, C-section, 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 C-section. And they would be not necessary, but necessary in as much as they had the good doctor in, you know, <laughs> at, at the moment. And then, but that's a serious, a serious um, piece of surgery. And many of these people would go home and either have children to go back to, they'd have to go back to work immediately. They wouldn't take care. They wouldn't go to their follow-up appointment. So we have, for example, in New Jersey, we no longer authorize planned C-sections unless, of course, there is a medical reason for doing so. But I mean, that that to me, that there are just things like that, like going to the hospital and asking someone, have you delivered in the last six to 12 months if they appear to have no issues whatsoever? There's some really basic things we can do. Anything you want to add to that or anything, anything we missed, Professor Armstrong? Well, just on the C-section issue, I think reducing the reliance on cesarean surgery is critical to reducing maternal morbidity and mortality. And New Jersey is unfortunately high in C-section rates, right? Yes. Okay, so, yeah. Yeah. The United States is high. I mean, again, New Jersey is just mirroring national trends. One in three babies in the United States today is born via cesarean surgery. Best estimates suggest that an optimal cesarean section rate is between 10 and 15%. So we're well above that optimal rate in the U.S. as a whole. New Jersey, again, mirrors that trend. We need to, I think, focus on ways to reduce primary cesarean surgeries, which will help to bring down. That's the first uh, cesarean that a woman experiences that will bring down um, the cesarean rate overall. Well, thank you again, um, both, for all the work you're doing in this area. Thank you, Professor Howard. <laughs> thank you. No, thank you so much for having us. And thanks for the collaboration because it really is academia, business, healthcare. It's all of us coming together and accepting the fact that we can, we can move the needle together. And we will here in New Jersey. Thank you for listening to the Princeton Pulse podcast, a production of Princeton University's Center for Health and Wellbeing. The show is hosted by me, Professor Heather Howard, produced by Amy Bronfield, and edited by Eden Tashoma with additional support from Rose Huber, Dan Kiyu and Casey West. We invite you to subscribe to the Princeton Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your favorite podcasts. You can learn more about health-focused research led by Princeton faculty, students, and other Center for Health and Wellbeing affiliates by visiting our website at chw.princeton.edu and following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Search for Princeton CHW to find us. We hope you'll tune in to our next episode of the Princeton Pulse podcast.